Hello, City Hope. It's great to see you this weekend. We want to welcome our campuses, Mobile, Foley, Baymanette, all the men in the three correctional facilities that we're part of. So welcome and thank you for being part of this weekend. Uh, we will begin a fast tomorrow. I know, I know that's a big shout and we're all excited about that, but I'll talk about that a little more in the message, but just to let you know, we'll begin a 21-day fast tomorrow and hopefully you'll be part of that. As we begin this series, I want to just dive right in and kind of tell you what's in my heart. I believe we're living in a time where it's essential for believers to know how to navigate in prayer. Uh, because when we know how to navigate in prayer, that shifts the spiritual climate of your home, your workplace, your church, even your country. When that happens, you're causing the spiritual, the physical, and the social changes all around us. And God is challenging us, City Hope, to move beyond our day-to-day maintenance-type prayers to uncommon prayers. Uh, uncommon prayers that become a conduit that releases his will from heaven to earth. As a born-again believer in Christ, God has given us power of attorney. He's deputized us, if you will. And this delegated authority, authority is wholly inoperative apart from the Holy Spirit empowered prayers of a believing church. It's God's intention that the church should live and walk with uncommon prayer strategies. You may say, well, why? Well, it's because Jesus identified the church in Matthew 5, and he said that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. At this present moment, the church, in union with her risen Lord and Savior, is the fundamental preserving factor in this present world order. Therefore, by the virtue of our organic relationship with Christ, we, not Satan, but we, hold the balance of power in human affairs. The psalmist said the fate of the world is in the hands of nameless saints. Now, you can become one of God's prayer strategists by coming into agreement with Scripture as you live and you live in your life, you operate your family, in your church, and in your nation. So what I want you to understand is no longer count yourself insignificant to God's plan when it comes to the present social and spiritual deterioration that we are witnessing in our nation. You are significant to change that. You were put here on this earth to be a gatekeeper, a difference maker. God made you a force for civilization to enlighten social consciousness. And it's time for City Hope to strategize to take our position in the body of Christ, to be a voice that drives back darkness, but it brings forth truth and hope and healing and freedom and life that's fully alive in Christ. That's the purpose for which you and I are here and part of City Hope Church. Now, I know when you probably, the only thing that's you know, less popular than teaching on prayer is fasting, so we're just putting them both together, so it'll be just wonderful. Uh, I, I know prayer has been studied and studied and written about and preached about by countless peoples in countless ways. Yet it remains an elusive element to most of us. It's kind of like prayer is like the national anthem before a sporting event. It gets the game going, but it has little to no relevance on what's happening on the field. It's merely an exercise of routine. We've gotten to the place where even our prayers before we eat is just a, we're saying the same thing. We, the prayers before we go to bed, maybe we're reciting those and praying for blessing with a little gratitude. Prayer has become a habit for far too many of us instead of a developed strategy for our lives. Prayer is powerful. Let, let, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why prayer is powerful. Because kingdom prayer 
is the divinely authorized methodology to access heavenly authority for earthly intervention. I think the earth needs some intervention, don't you? I do. So, in other words, prayer is earth giving heaven permission to intervene in reality here with a manifestation of spiritual reality from up there. And God is waiting to be involved in our life activities. He's waiting to be involved in your health, your family, your children. And yet, because he's given us freedom, then he's not going to force himself on our situations. He's not going to force himself into the, the things that we face. He's waiting for us to ask to connect with him in prayer. Maybe what I've just said I can illustrate best by this little simple story. A little lady lived in a rural part of the county, so rural that electricity hadn't been there. She'd lived there for years, and finally the, the electrical company said, we're going to run power and poles down to her place, and they did. And they noticed after several months that she used very little power. They tested everything. Yeah, the power's getting there. Her house, she's fine, but she's not using much. So they sent a representative to go and visit her and say, well, is there a problem? What's going on? Knocks on the door. She comes to the door. Ma'am, I'm with the electric company. We don't know, you know, since we've gotten the power to your house, you know, are you running it? Is everything okay? Oh, yes, it has been so helpful. Great. Can, can you tell me how you're using it and explain how you're using your new electric power? She said, sure, it's easy. She said, when it, gets, when it begins to get dark, I, I turn the lights on long enough to light my kerosene lamps, and then I turn the lights off again. <laughs> this lady did not understand the full use of power. She had it, but it wasn't maximizing. It, she was getting the power that was designed to be delivered, but she wasn't using it to its maximum capacity. That's the same way with prayer. In order to experience maximum spiritual power, we need to understand how this thing called prayer is designed to work by God. Yeah, we sing songs about power, and they remind all of us the, the deposits that God has made in us to have this power from God, yet so many of us are living as though we are powerless. So ponder these questions before I get into the body of this message. Are you trying to get, when you pray, are you trying to get God to move when you pray? Are you trying to talk God into something when you pray? Does God finally answer your prayers if you bother him enough? Do we earn answers to our prayers because we've worked hard, we've served hard, we've been diligent? You know, you think about some of these questions because although we may not phrase it that way, but we probably believe that way. What I'm going to share with you today is going to help you because it's the way you think when you pray about something and that prayer doesn't get answered the way you're praying about it, then it leaves an open door, and what can happen very easily is you get disappointed in God or mad at God, and you say, well, this prayer thing doesn't work, and so God didn't do it. What I'm going to show you in the first message of this series is what prayer actually does. In this message, we're going to talk about the power of prayer. Here's the first point. God has deposited his power in us. God has deposited his power in us. So let's look at how to release power in our prayers. In Luke 24, 49, Jesus is saying, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, God the Father. But tarry, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now remember this first point is God's deposited his power in us. Then in Acts 1, 8, he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
And even in Romans 8, it tells us that we have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We have that same power living in us, and that power is the Holy Spirit. So we can be clothed, infused, and endued with the power from on high. We have this power living in us. Now, I want to show you a text that you're probably familiar with, but I'm, just, I'm not going to show you the, the Scripture reference. I'm just going to give you the first half of this. I want to see if you, if you recognize this Scripture. So, so look at the first part of this. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You familiar with that verse? Hold your hand up. Four people are. Okay. Now, don't look at your Bible and don't look at your device. Can you finish that verse? See, see, most of us can't finish that verse. Well, what does the rest of the verse say? It says this, according to the power that works in us. According to the power. This says, according to the power that works in us. Now, I, I have a question. If God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think, then why doesn't he? Because it's according to the power that works in us. This is the key to understanding prayer. So here's the question. It's not a trick question, so you can answer. God has how much power? Okay, one more time. Slow group, no coffee. God has how much power? All power. God is able to do it all. Then why doesn't he do it? Because it's up to us. It is according. The Greek word means to the measure of. So God is able to do everything to the measure that we release his power on this earth. Another definition of the word according, it means distribution. My question to you, City Hope, is how much power are you distributing to your family through your prayers, to your church, to your nation? How much of God's exceedingly abundantly above all power are you measuring out through your prayers? You see, we have to understand this, that God doesn't need anything. But he decided to need us. He decided. He decided to work through us, cooperate with us on this earth. So whatever he wants to do on the earth, he's going to take it through us, through people, his believers, his sons and his daughters. So listen to what God said through the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 27 and 5. He said, I have made the earth, the man and the beast, all the animals that are on, that are on the ground. I've made all of that by my great power and my outstretched arm. And watch, and I have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. In other words, whom it seemed proper to me to give it to. So who has God given the earth to? People, us, believers. And we know that Adam, he, he gave the deed away. He lost it. We know Jesus came and he, he, he got the deed back. And then before Jesus left, he, he gave it to us. So we have the deed. So what happens on the earth is dependent upon our prayers and how much of the power that works within us. And God has deposited the Holy Spirit. In other words, he has deposited himself in us. We get mixed up sometimes when we say Holy Spirit, but that's part of the God is a three-part Trinity God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is part of God. Jesus said, I have to go away, and, and, and Jesus in his human body couldn't be everywhere, and he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, part of God, God's Spirit to the earth because he can be everywhere at one time, and I'm going to send you this Holy Spirit deposit in you as a believer so that you have access to this power. And it depends on how much Holy Spirit gets out how much we measure out. In other words, let, let me frame it this way. God's unlimited power is limited on earth by our prayers. That went over really well. God's unlimited power is limited 
on earth by our prayers. He has all this power, all this ability, and it's limited because he chose, he decided, I'm going to work through my people. I'm going to flow through my people. So I want you to understand that God has deposited his power in us. And we're talking about praying with power. Here's the second point. We must release this power through prayer. We must release this power through prayer. In John 7, 37, here's Jesus. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, we just read verses where Jesus said, you guys wait for the promise of the Father and the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. That has not happened yet in this story in John 7. So before that happens, he stands up and he talks about when the Holy Spirit comes, that out of you is going to flow rivers of living water. In other words, you're going to be able to flow. The power of God is going to flow out of you through his Spirit. But let me give you some background on this because I think it really correlates with where we are today in our culture it was a feast that lasted eight days and for seven days they prayed for living water from heaven for seven days they prayed and they quoted Zechariah 14 8 what does it say and in that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem so here's what they would do every day for seven days they would pray and they would literally symbolically take some water and they would pour it on a rock to symbolize the living water from God that came out of the rock when Moses spoke to it and they would pray for living water for seven days, and on the eighth day, they would pray for rain. The point is not if God will send it, but will we release enough power to get it here? Nothing wrong with praying for rain, but there was something wrong with them praying for rain. Why? It was a religious tradition they went through every year. Those seven days, they didn't really believe God was going to pour out living water. In essence, they were, what they were doing on the eighth day was say, well, since we can't get living water, we'll just take regular water. Just send us some rain. This was a tremendous statement of unbelief among the people. Here's what Jesus did. After seven days of this feast, he, 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 them praying for living water on the eighth day, they would pray for rain. Here's what Jesus did. He stood up before they could pray for rain on the eighth day, and he said, I'm the living water. I'm the living water that came out of that rock, the symbolic part that came out of the rock. That's me. And by the way, I'm the rock too. And if anyone is thirsty, come to me. And if you come to me, I will deposit that living water in you. I'll deposit it in you. And then you can release that living water. You can release the power of God in your family, at your work, with your friends, with people. You can release it because I'm going to deposit in you. My question for you, City Hope, is how much of the living water of God are you releasing to your family? Is it a trickle? Is it a river? Is it possible that prayer is not trying to get God to move as much as it is releasing enough power in the Spirit to get the job done? If you'll understand this, you'll quit getting mad at God. Well, I prayed, and God didn't do this, and God didn't do that. Well, maybe you should ask, well, how long did you pray? And couldn't I make the statement God had already done it? Is Jesus ever going to die on a cross again? Come on. Is he? No. Why? Because it, the work of salvation is complete. It's finished as far as God's part. It's considered done. Well, then why isn't everyone saved? Why isn't everyone a believer? Because you have a part of that, too. 
You have to believe. You have to confess. It's like, it's like a chess game. God, God has moved. has rung the bell. It's your move. If you're going to get saved, born again, become a believer, you're going to have to accept what Jesus did on the cross for you, ask for your sins to be forgiven, and believe and accept him into your life. Here's another question. Is Jesus ever going to, is he ever going to be scourged again for our healing? Is he ever going to have to have stripes put on his back for our healing? No, it's already been done. So our salvation, our healing is in heaven. So this is why Jesus told his disciples to pray like this. He said, you need to get heaven on earth. You need to get heaven on earth. Watch what Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So look, we've, if you're a believer, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. But where are they? In heaven. So how do we need to pray? That's why Jesus said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, we're trying to get heaven on earth. But watch, it's not up to God to move. That part's been done. It's up to us to pray. It's up to us to release the power of God that's in us. And if you get this, this will change your prayer life. I, I, I see believers, you know, I, I, I've been around this for a while, and I see believers, and I kind of liken it to, you know, the fastest animal on the earth is the cheetah. can run up to 65, 70 miles an hour. That's how fast you drive on the interstate, or are you supposed to? But he can't run very long at that speed. You know why? Because he has a disproportionate-sized heart. So he can run hard and fast, but he can't run far. And here's why I'm telling you that. I believe that's the way most believers pray. And then when we don't get answers, we resolve, well, next time I just need to pray harder and faster. No. How about if we pray longer? You say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, sure it does. Listen to this. Why did Elijah have to pray seven times for rain when God had already promised he's going to send rain? Was Elijah trying to talk God into doing something God already said he was going to do? No. He's releasing enough power on earth to agree with heaven to get heaven on earth. Why did Daniel have to pray for 21 days? And Daniel 10, 2, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. You know why he's mourning? He's on a fast. We're calling the church to a fast starting tomorrow for 21 days. Some of you have already done that. Great. But if you haven't, we're going to start, you're going to start tomorrow. Verse 3, I ate no pleasant food, no meat, no wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. These three whole weeks were fulfilled until these whole weeks were fulfilled. He's mourning. He's on a fast. A Daniel fast is simply no meats, no sweets, no drinks. It's veggies and fruit and water. Verse 12, watch what happens. Then he said to me, now this is an angel, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come because of your words. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, this is a demon, withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Another angel had to come help me, for I have been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So here's what this angel said. The first day you prayed, I left heaven with your answer. But do you remember, Daniel, there's a battle going on in heavenly places. Do you know that there's a spiritual battle, spiritual wickedness in high places, principalities and powers in high places? We can't see them, but in the spirit world. And I'm telling you, the first time you pray, your answer leaves heaven. But there's a war going on from the answer getting from there to here. And I'm asking you as you, as you begin to pray for, for these, for this, during this fast, that are you just going to pray a few days 
when you should pray for 21 days? What if Daniel had stopped praying? If he had stopped praying, the, 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 the answer to the prayer may not have returned. See, Daniel was releasing on earth the power to get the answer through. Are you releasing on earth the power to get the answer through? And I want to encourage you to fast, and I promise you, if you do, you, you won't die. We haven't lost anybody yet in 20 years. You're going to think you're dying, but you're not going to die. And I'm proud of you for doing this. But, but I want to encourage you. To, I want you to fast and pray. And if you do, the greatest thing is not how much weight you lose or how you'll feel, and your mind's going to be clear, but, you know, how much less you're eating. It's about how much more you're praying. Because when we fast, we have to pray. If we don't pray when we fast, it's just a diet. And a diet is a dime a dozen. So let me recap. God has deposited his power in us, too. We release his power through prayer. Here's the third and final point. God adds his fire to our prayers. God adds his fire to our prayers. Now, I want you to stay with me on that. If you catch this, it will change your life. It will change your life. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp. The lamb is Jesus. Each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense. What is that? Which are the prayers of the saints. So you, you see that, right? The prayers of the saints. You see that? Come on, talk to me. Yeah. Okay. So where are our prayers stored according to this verse? In heaven, in bowls. Very important. Okay? We need to understand that. You need the visual of what you're going to hear. Revelation 8 and 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints. How many saints? All the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So if you're a saint, if you're a believer, all the saints, if you're a believer, in, I know you may not look like it when you look in the mirror, you may not act like it every day, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're wearing his robe of righteousness, so you're classified as a saint. So all the prayers, your prayers are included, okay? All the saints upon the golden altar, altar which was before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. Now, these are all symbols of God's power moving or doing something on the earth. But the question is, how do you get that to happen? How does that happen? When we pray, your visual, you need to see this. In, your, in the spirit, you need to see this. Our prayers go into bowls in heaven. And these bowls, at some time, the fire of God is added to the bowls and thrown back to the earth with God's fire added to it. It's the same fire that came on Mount Carmel when Elijah prayed seven times. It's the same fire that stood between the children of Israel's enemies that tried to burn them up and protected them. It's the same fire that, that Moses talked to in the burning bush. It's the same fire that fell on the day of Pentecost. It's the fire of God. So what, listen, what do you think will happen if God adds his fire to your prayers and it comes back to earth answered prayers miracles happen it didn't happen because of you it, it happened because you prayed and God's fire was added to your prayers now this is my personal opinion I, I believe how do you get that to happen is is when the bowls are full enough I think when they're full enough they, they get a little top heavy and they tip it's kind of like a water. You've seen a water, anything holding some water, and it fills up, and it tips. It's going to run over. Something's holding your prayer. I think it tips. 
And I think the angel is standing right there by our prayer bowls at the altar with the fire ready in a censer and thinking, dear Lord, please, let them pray more than just two minutes going to work. Let them pray more than just, just in the morning when they're trying to get out of the house. Let, let, let them put in prayers. And, and I want you, here, here's why, more than just a minute, I want you to understand this. Don't ever think that casual and sporadic praying is enough to receive a miracle from God. Praying sporadically and just a little bit, that's not going to get the miracle. You're going to have to fill the bowl with prayers. The problem is not God's part. We're not filling the bowls. And when the bowls get full, the angel thinks, well, thank the Lord. They're praying. They're putting it in there. And then he puts the fire of God in with the prayers and throws it to the earth. Your prayers, my prayers. My question is how full of your bowls? How full are your bowls? I'm going to end this message with a story. I don't normally do stories. But this one fits. In the 1800s, a man, a man named George Mueller lived. He had a wild life. He was immoral. He was, you know, just the party animal, if you will, until he was 30 years old. He was invited one night to, to a small group. A small group of people that met in home studied the Bible. Never been to one in his life. He goes in that small group found the Lord. He became a believer. He accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He'd been in church all his life. In fact, he was studying to be a minister and found Jesus in a small group. And, and, and the reason he was, he was doing that, he, he was wild, and the, and the reason he was wanting to be a minister is because his father, at that time, the government would subsidize the payment of a minister. So it was just a job for him to have. But he got radically saved in this, in, in this small group. Then he decided, I want to go to missionary school. Felt a tug. His father wouldn't send him, wouldn't pay for it. His father was very wealthy, refused to send him. So you know what he did? He's a new believer now. He prayed. He, He prayed until he felt like his bowl was full. His bowl was full enough to provide. He prayed for two months. At the end of that, he felt like God said, go to the school. Go. So he goes to missionary school. He's standing in line to pay his tuition. He does not have any money. A man walks by him he's never seen before, doesn't say one word, takes an envelope, sticks it in his pocket, and walks off, never said a word. When he gets to the window to pay the tuition, he opens the envelope, and the exact amount of money is in the envelope to pay for his tuition. All he did was pray. That's all he did. He graduates from missionary school, and he goes to the missionary board to be sent out, and they refused to because he had such a wild past. They forgot about grace and mercy. He wasn't going to have any support, so what did he do? He prayed. For one year he prayed until he felt like God said, your bowl's full. Then he went to the missionary field, went into a little town and found a church and said, I'm going to meet this pastor because I'm going to be a missionary in this town and I want to know the pastor. So he was told the pastor left last week. And he said, well, I'm just a missionary moving here and I just graduated mission. Oh, you're hired. You're our pastor. After a few months, he found out the way they were paying him was they were renting the pews to the wealthy members of the church. So those with money could come in and get the prime seats, and those who didn't have any money, they may have to stay outside and probably didn't even come. So he prayed, and then he preached boldly, and he said, we're not going to show partiality anymore. You're not going to be able to rent pews. 
any person, any race, anybody can come and have a seat. And furthermore, we're not even going to pass an offering plate. We're going to put offering boxes in the foyer, and you give as God leads you as an act of worship because God loves cheerful givers, not renters. God always provided for him. God spoke to him and said, I want you to begin an orphanage. He had 50 cents to his name. He prayed. That, that's all he did. And over the next 60 years, God brought into this little church, into the, um, to the mission account, this is in the 1800s, over $7 million. And he had more orphanages than any missionary that had ever lived. He ministered to literally thousands and thousands and thousands of children. When he got saved, his best friend was with him, and he rejected Christ. Mueller was 30 years old when he got saved. And when he was 93 years old and eight months, he phrased it that way. He was about to die, and he was praying for his friend that heard the same message but refused to repent when he was 30. Another friend heard him praying for this guy, and he said, you still praying for so-and-so? He said, I have prayed for him for every day for 63 years and eight months since I became a believer. A few days later, George passed away. This friend shared this, that he shared this was at his funeral. To his surprise, the man he'd been praying for for 63 years and eight months was at the funeral. At the end of the service, at the graveside, this man got on his knees beside the grave and accepted Jesus Christ. You want to know why? Because George's prayer bowl for his friend was full from prayers he prayed for 63 years and eight months. How full are your prayer bowls? See, I think it's our mindset of understanding. We're in the Western civilization. We want instantaneous everything. And we think, well, that didn't work. I'll try something else. I'll try something else. No, prayer works. It does work, but we have to tap into that power and learn how to pray powerful prayers that are from God. And, and, and listen, we're, we're going to get into this in, in praying for our family, our church, our nation, because I'm telling you, we, church, we are the way God accesses this earth. He calls us gatekeepers. The word in the Hebrew, gate, gate in the Hebrew, means piercing the darkness. We are the gates. And the light of God pierces through us. But, and God is waiting with all the resources and all the power. He has everything. He can change the heart of man. He can bring illumination to man. He can illuminate. He can show all of these things to people. But you know what? He's going to do it through us praying and full of the power and letting that power that's in us measure out to other people and loving other people and praying for other people. I, I remember as a child... One of my grandfathers was not a believer. And I remember as a child always praying for him, always praying for him. I remember as an adult. I, I, I remember, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was in my 40s uh, and, uh, before he passed away, but a couple years before he passed away, he was in a hospital having some tests run, and the pastor went. And, and he went to church every Sunday. He gave more than anybody in the church, yet he wasn't a Christian. If you said something bad about his pastor and his church, he would, he would whip you and dog cuss you real quick. I mean, he, he was devoted, but he wasn't born again. He was devoted, but he wasn't saved. And in that hospital, a few years before he died, this pastor led him to the Lord. You know what it taught me? 
Never stop praying. Never stop praying. I had someone say to me going out the last service, I'm so glad you said that. I've been praying about something for 30 years and I almost decided just to quit. He said, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep praying. Now, you just keep filling that prayer bowl. You just keep, you, you keep doing your part. See, I want you to understand, prayer is not trying to get God to move. Prayer is releasing the power that's within you so God can move. Do you understand? Come on, do you understand? And I believe with all my heart, it's time to have strategies about our prayer, to have uncommon prayers, not just the, the, the tradition and the memories and, the, and all of these things, but, but to have uncommon prayers to release the power of God. You see, there's a, there's a verse in the Bible, and you'll know it when I talk about it. I'm not putting it up, but I'm going to dissect it in this series later on. But it, God said in Second Chronicles, he said, if my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and pray, seek, your, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, you'll hear from heaven, we'll, and you will forgive, we'll forgive your sins and heal your land. And you know what most of us think? Yeah, we all need to get together and do that. Yeah, all, those, all these other people, they need to get together. No, 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 he's talking about us individually. Because you can't have people if you don't have a person. He's talking to persons, us. And I'm telling you, if there's ever been a time that you and your house, Joshua said it, as for me and my house, if for you and your house, if you are going to serve the Lord, you need to have prayer strategies for your marriage, for your children, for your health, for your finances, for your church, for your community. I'm telling you, we have to pick our heads up and understand that God has the ability to change everything, but he's going to do it through people. And I want to finish by just praying over you, but I want to challenge you. I don't care who you are, all of us. God has so convicted me in preparing for this series about my prayer life. He's, it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, if, if, it, if you don't need to increase your prayer life, then you're probably not even a human. You're just an angel. You just need to float on out of here, okay? <laughs> all of us do. But it's the mindset of how God established prayer, not what some denomination said, not what some book said, what God has taught us so that we can access the power that's there because it's his power that changes things. It's not, it's not how you recite it or what you do. It's getting in a conversation with him and filling up those prayer bowls because you are convicted about someone that needs Jesus. You're convicted about your family's going to be healthy. You're convicted that your marriage is going to stay put. It is not going to be divided. You're convicted and you're going to pray and you're going to tap into the power of God. So I pray this for you, and if you agree with this prayer when I finish, you can just say amen to yourself. Father, we humble ourselves and we confess that we've trusted ourselves more than you. We've trusted our abilities and our plans and our purposes instead of yours, and we repent. Father, we humble ourselves and confess that we've not always obeyed your word. Your word says, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that proves the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. And we have weakened and compromised your word out of fear and intimidation of a culture and a society, the fear of man, the popular belief, the, and pride, and we repent for this. Forgive us, Jesus, for building our own kingdom and protecting our own names instead of stewarding your kingdom and exalting your name. And Jesus, we humble ourselves. We bring 
will you, Holy Spirit, bring us into a place of brokenness and contrition so that we can allow our lives to come into agreement with all of your blessings and your promises for people on this earth. Don't let us compromise your word and miss out on what you want to do through us, but let us be connected to the power of prayer and watch what you do when we pray. In Jesus' name, we submit our lives to prayer strategies. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.